Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing quite well, it sounds like. So my name is, uh, my name is Drake, um, and I am new around these parts. So I am going to be the SALT director at the University of St. Thomas. Uh, it is a joy for me to kind of jump in and continue the teaching series through First Peter. We're in our second week of this series. And if some of you weren't here last week, um, basically what we learned from Drew is that we, who have put our faith in Christ, are elect exiles in this world. That before the foundations of the world, like God had your photo, and he chose to share his covenantal affection with you by pulling you and adopting you into his family. And so, of course, right when Drew said he had our photo, it made me think, what, what photo did he have of me? Um, and so I, I pulled up a couple different options. Um... Yeah, so this was, I don't know, on a way to attract me, doing some hurdles, something like that. And then we have another, another option. I will say, this was before Bieber was popular, so I did have that hair originally. But basically, all these photos to show that um, it's not based on performance. It's not based on how good we are. Uh, God said, hey, I see that Drake is going to have this season of his life, and I'm still going to choose him. And so we are learning about God's hand in our life, and, and Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians who have been dispersed, who are alienated and kind of on their own, and they are feeling alone. And so the audience is this group of isolated people who are experiencing trials and oppression for the first time. And so Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, uh, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 for us. Starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so guys, the, the main idea that we're going to be looking at in this text is that our future glory will lead to joy as well as perseverance in this life. And so the first thing I want to zero in on is our eternal glory that we have. As this whole section is kind of under the umbrella of one thing, God's incredible mercy. And so a quick definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And so as, as we look at the us in this text that he's sharing his mercy with, we have to realize that we are the children of wrath. Like Ephesians 2 says, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, deserving the punishment of God, and yet he extended his mercy to us. And he's actually caused something to happen in us as a result. And so it says that he caused us to be born again where we were dead in our relationship with God, 
dead in our hope for eternity, and he's actually brought us to a new life. It's called a, a living hope. And this is basically saying a hope of life with God, that that, that has been restored to us. And so I want you to think of a time that you have been the most content in this world. Like a time that you were free from worry, void of any insecurity in your heart, but you were in complete joy. You You didn't want to be anywhere else than where you were in that moment. This is but a glimmer of the fullness of life that we will have with God. And he's saying that life, that hope of life with God has now been granted to us. But it says this will only happen through something else occurring. And so if we look at how we use the word through in our, in our language, we kind of say as I have to get through or over this hurdle in order to get to something else in my life. So maybe it's like, man, if I could just get through this incredibly busy week, then all will be well again. Or if I could just get through this hard meeting and the pressure, the buildup of it, then I will be at ease. Or if the Minnesota Vikings could get through the NFC championship game, we could experience the Super Bowl. I'm throwing myself in that we, though I'm a Rams fan, I'll try to adjust unless they play them. But what must come to pass for us to have this living hope? If we look at the text, he points that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he points to something that has already happened and says, through the resurrection of Christ, you will be raised to life as well. What he's essentially saying is that from Jesus rising from the dead, it's basically God's pledge on our life that we will rise from the dead too. That that has been sealed for us. It's not saying you will get this pending something else occurring in your life. But this has actually been sealed for you because Jesus rose from the grave. And that this hope will actually last for eternity. And so I wanted to put into perspective a little bit of, I have this rope, um, just to call that out. Um, What Peter is trying to do in this text, he's trying to give us an eternal perspective of what we have and so this rope that goes pretty far, imagine that it goes on forever, because, you know, that's eternity. But this rope is to signify the timeline of our life. And so imagine with me different moments that you've dreamt of or that you've imagined as you go on to, to thinking about heaven. So imagine here, maybe you are someone that loves exploring creation, And you're imagining seeing mountains that are far more spectacular than anything you could have ever imagined here on this earth or that you could have ever seen. Mountains without the curse of sin on them, beholding so much glory in them. Or maybe some of you, you're imagining the most beautiful stake that you're going to throw down. Like you're like throwing down a stake that puts the greatest filet mignon on this earth to shame because how good it is. And you're eating such good food that the term Whole30 is never even thrown around. (laughs) Or maybe some of you, you're like imagining, like, we get to sing praises to God with all people. That everyone from every background will actually be gathering together in perfect harmony with one another, rejoicing in our God together. Like, we get to take part in all nations coming together in that. 
Some of you might be thinking about running marathons or something. That's just not me. But some of you might be thinking of all those crazy things that you get to experience. But just imagine that this goes on for eternity. And then he goes on to color this in a little bit more for us, that it is imperishable. Like our eternity will have no decaying. We will never experience loss ever again. But the fullness of life, it says that it is undefiled, that it is completely pure, that there's no brokenness, there's no hint of sin that could even creep in to what our eternity is. And then he says that it's unfading. And when I see this, I think of that it will never, what we see in heaven will never lose how glorious it is to us. It won't be like the trip to Colorado where day three, you're like, hey, let's go to the hotel pool instead of seeing the mountains again. We're here, we become callous and desensitized to the beauty of what this earth beholds. It will never fade in its glory to us. And then he caps us all off by saying that all of this is kept in heaven for you by God. Like literally, God's hand is what is holding it and protecting and guarding it for you in heaven. That no amount of your own wrongdoing, no amount of danger could ever threaten taking that away from you. And then some of you might be thinking, okay, what about now? Like, what about today when my faith feels shaky, when I feel like I'm not living up to the standard that I should be living? Well, he goes on to clarify that by saying, for those of you who have faith, the power of God's hand is what is holding you until that day. And so what he wants us to color in is that we have no greater hope that we can earn than what we already have in Christ. And also the reality that there is no greater confidence we can have Because Jesus Christ is the one holding our inheritance, not us. And so he says, this is yours in Christ. In this, you rejoice. In this, you celebrate. In this, living hope that God has given you completely by his mercy. And so he's drawing our eyes to the scale of how long our eternity is. And then he brings in two words. He says, though now where he's going to be walking through some present trials. And so now what he's hammering in, when he says, though now for a little while, and when he says for a little while, he means your entire life on this earth. And he wants us to zero in that this this little part of red tape on this rope, this is our life in the scale of eternity. Because for us, our life feels like it is going to be So incredibly long. It feels like it's going to be for an eternity. But he's saying, no, I want you to see that it is for a very short while in the scale of the rest of your life. Because what happens is that a lot of us can lock in on this stage of our life. And if we think that this is everything, trials will begin to crush us. Because we feel like we deserve to live better. We feel like we, we deserve to have heaven now. And if we're supposed to experience heaven now, what's the point of me going through these difficulties? And when we focus solely on the portion of the tape that's on the rope that is for our life, the trials that we will actually experience in this life 
become far more difficult. Paul David Tripp in his book on suffering says that the more that you focus on the thing that you suffer, the bigger, more complicated, and more impossible it becomes. And your Lord begins to shrink in size and power. And so what Peter is trying to remind us is to remember and rejoice in what is to come. Remember the scale of the rest of your eternity to give you a right perspective of what this life will be. He wants to grow in us an eternal perspective that our life has. And then he drops the word, the words various trials in there. And I love that he just says various. Like he just pulls all of us into that. Because all of us have the tendency of being like, okay, what I'm going through right now is not as difficult as what that person is going through. So I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to, I'm just going to try to get through it on my own. But what he is saying is that these various trials apply to all of us. At whatever degree or whatever experience we're going through, he's speaking to you here and I also want to point out, when he says a little while, he, he is not trying to take away the weight and significance of the difficulty that we face. Like he's not trying to say the, the trials and the sufferings that you go through should actually hurt less because of what's to come. He's not saying trying to take away the pain that exists because he knows that a lot of us will experience loss in that, this life. And that brings significant and real pain to us. Or some of us will have frustrations created from comments being made, whether it's by coworkers or by family members of our walk with Christ. And it can just grow rage in our heart and those, those feelings are real. Or some of you in this room might have incredible hurt in your heart for a family member who doesn't know Christ. And everything in you wants them to see that you're not viewing them as a project, but you just want them to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus that he is. And so Peter is saying, he's not saying don't have pain, because we know that the trials and the difficulties that we experience are very, very real. What he's trying to point out is that the mercy of God and what he has in store for us in glory is the only way that we'll press on in this life. And another key phrase that he says is, if necessary. Basically, if it is necessary for God to carry this out in your life in order for God's will to happen in your life. Because what we do when trials come is that we say, what is the point of this? Like, God, are you even with me in this moment? Why are you doing this? Can't you just get me out of this season so I can go on with my life? But God is saying, no, this is necessary. I'm not just doing it because. Like, There's a greater purpose, and God is actually growing something in us when we experience trials. And so I found out uh, very soon when we moved up here to Minnesota that we moved up at just the perfect time because it gave me a great excuse to jump onto the Twins bandwagon, as they are doing incredible. So I have gone to a couple games Two of them. They won both. I've been to. And the last one we went to was about a week ago. And this was a, a weekday game. 
And we were just expecting like a normal night at the, the ballpark, just enjoy a quick nine innings, go home. Didn't know this was going 17. So one of the longest games I've been to. And so it was hilarious because you could see, like after the ninth inning got done, a wave of people left the game. And you get to the 10th, another wave, 11th, another wave. But as you kept going, it's like people were locked in. Like, I have struggled through the difficulty of the 9th and the 10th and 11th, and everyone was staying in their seats. I mean, we moved up super close from the, the triple deck, but everyone was staying at the game because what was happening as they were struggling through the extra innings is that they were growing a commitment to make it to the end of that game. And then the, the single that was hit in the bottom of the 17th, I swear they won the World Series. It was amazing. But... What Peter is basically saying here is that God is using the trials in our life, the struggles in our life, to grow a commitment in our heart to God in a way that nothing else can. Only trials and difficulty can reveal in our heart things that we are trusting in besides God, identities that we are going to besides what he has given us, and then draw us back to a trust in God. And so he is doing this by purifying our faith. And in the text, he actually compares it to the purifying process of gold. Because what happens when you purify gold by fire, that is when it becomes valuable. So essentially what he's saying is that when our faith experiences the trials of fire, it becomes valuable. He is growing and depthening our faith so that one day we will receive praise and honor and we will receive the crown of glory. But if we're being honest with ourselves, like we have this longing for when trials happen in our life, or even if it's just the normal monotony of the everyday, we want to be Christians that press on having incredible faith but a lot of the times we have a wrong mindset going into it. Like we want to be Christians that are cemented in our faith, but we feel like we are barely holding on to our walk with Christ. And we feel like we're just falling on our face and not putting our trust in who God is. Before I started off at working for Salt Company in Iowa City, I worked for the Han Company. Um, if any of you know what it is, it's an office furniture manufacturer. So I talked about office furniture all the time. I felt like I was in the office. But what would happen is that early on, they would train us in different presentations. And they gave us a presentation. And they said, I want you to give a seven-minute presentation to the whole sales floor of a persuasive presentation of something that you're passionate about. And so in my mind, immediately, I'm like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity like, I could share about the glory of Jesus. I could share how Jesus is the most beautiful person you could ever imagine. But actually what I did do is that I was fearful of what would happen if I spoke this to my coworkers. How isolated would I become on the sales floor? What would my bosses think for me? And so I actually shrinked back, and the fear of what they might do silenced my lips in sharing the gospel. And I actually did a presentation on why wrestling is the hardest sport. Fascinating. If anyone want to hear my argument afterwards, come up. Um, 
But basically, I, I switched routes because I wanted to avoid the potential trial that could happen. And even Peter. Like, we look at Peter, who's writing this beautiful letter to these people, denied Jesus three times before Jesus went to the cross. And the last time was to a little girl around a fire that he couldn't even have the courage to share with her, I'm with Jesus. And so if there's any of you in this room who are wrestling with, like, man, there's a time in my past that I'm thinking about where I wanted to share the gospel, but I was silent. Or I wanted to speak to someone about Jesus, but I held back. What Peter would want you to hear is that this life is not a resume that you are building to hand to God at the end of it and say, are you proud of me? Like, it's not like we're going to say, hey, flip to page two and you'll see my trials experience right underneath my voluntary servanthood. Are you proud of me now? Because the gospel is that God had to throw out our resume and gave us Jesus' resume instead so that we could go before God with his perfection because that is the only way that we'll be made right before him. And so Peter is trying to draw our eyes up to say, look at the mercy of God in your life. And that, what Jesus has done, that he rose from the grave, that is how you are delighted in by God. not your performance in, in, in trials, not your performance in life, but completely by the blood of Jesus. We will never be able to live this out perfectly. But we take confidence that Jesus did. And therefore, we constantly look to the example that Jesus has laid out for us. And this brings us to the last point. That Christ displayed for us the greatest form of suffering in honoring his father through the entire process on the cross. Even though he was completely undeserving of it. Like his father shed his wrath completely on his son, though he had lived perfectly before him. And we were the children of wrath. We were the people that deserved the wrath of God on the cross, but yet he took our place and removed the penalty from us and allowed us to be brought back into God's presence. And now we get to be recipients of God's mercy. The story of the death and the resurrection of Christ is what caused Peter to be as incredibly bold as he was. That he was now a recipient of God's mercy, though he was completely undeserving of it. And so guys, as we look to Christ and strive to be more like him, we will begin to look like him more in our life. And if you look at verses 8 and 9 in this text, it shows that their lives revealed that they loved God and that their lives revealed that they believed in him because they were walking in a way similar to Christ. They were following his example. And so as I was looking into the context of this day, I actually discovered that there was a, a unique way that they would teach children how to write. Because the Greek letters were pretty funky, so they were trying to like learn those as kids. And what the teacher would do is that they would write out all of the Greek letters, and they would, they would set it down on the table, and then get a thin sheet of paper and set it over top and tell the students, begin to trace over those letters. My sheet serves as an example for you to begin to trace. And what 
the rest of 1 Peter is going to be showing us is that when we choose to follow Christ, we're essentially laying our life over the life of Christ and saying, begin to trace. And when we trace over the life of Christ, we see that trials will come our way. Because he was a stranger, he was an exile on this earth, and so are we as we live like him on this earth. And this should be an expectation of our walk with Christ. Like, I'm not trying to send you home with like, okay, what is going to be the next crazy trial that happens in my life? Like, am I going to get sick tomorrow? What's going to happen? That is not what he wants you to see, but actually to know that when difficulty comes, it is expected and planned out by a sovereign and merciful father that you have. And so when we trace our lives over the life of Christ, we will experience trials on this earth, but the joy for us is that the same time when we trace our life over the life of Christ, everlasting life is what it leads to. And so though now we might walk in a purposeful difficulty, we know that he is refining our faith, that there's purpose in our difficulty, that he's actually doing something in that time, and that one day we will receive the crown of glory. And this leads us to actually having joy in the difficulty now. John Calvin says that all who regard trials as necessary for salvation not only rise above them, but also turn them into an occasion for joy. The call is not just to endure these trials, like to just to try to make it through them, but actually that we as Christians are enabled to have joy in the midst of them. And if we look throughout the New Testament, we see time and time again how we will be strangers. Like I'm not saying just to love the people that love you, but actually to love your enemies. And what we're seeing in this text is that we will be the greatest of strangers on this earth when we begin to find joy in the midst of our difficulty because we know the life that we have to come and we know how short of an existence this earth is. And so the text says that we are to find joy in what is to come, but actually that leads us to find an inexpressible joy now. Like a confusing joy that no one else would understand unless they knew Jesus. This is the inexpressible joy that we get to celebrate because when we see God as the treasure that he is, we won't worry about what this trial might be threatening to take away from our life. Because we know that we have the greatest treasure we could ever imagine, and that that is secured for us for all of eternity. And that worldly pleasures and pursuits and identities will drift away, and no trial can take away what we want most. And we'll begin to echo what the psalmist says, and whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you, God? There's nothing in heaven I want more than you. And then that there's nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. And so we will find joy once we see the purpose that God is doing in our trials and the joy that we can have in the relationship with him that he has gifted us. But we will also be able to walk in joy that this is a, a way that God is using us to share, showcase his glory to the world. Like it's not just you who have eyes on your trials, but there's actually people, coworkers, family members who are around you that are seeing how you walk through these trials. 
that are asking the questions, how is this joy able to survive the suffering that they're going through? How are they able to continue on with what they are experiencing in their life? And to them, you will be able to say, yes, my joy is not anchored in this worldly happiness, but what has been earned for me by the blood of Jesus. And you can actually use your suffering as an opportunity to share with other people. Not just saying, I'm fine, like everything in my life is okay right now, but actually welcoming people into the darkness of your life so that the light of the gospel would shine brightly to them. And so we see that God is purposefully doing something in us to our faith as we walk through trials, but we also see that he is doing something in other people who are around us. And basically what Peter is trying to do is to grow in us a right understanding of who God is and the trials that we'll face in our life because our understanding and our theology of trials and who God is going into trials will greatly impact how we walk through those trials. And so I wanted to close up with just a quote that Jesus proclaimed to his disciples in John 16, 33. He says, That I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That is your Savior, and that is what he's done for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to celebrate you today. We want to give you the worship and the glory that you deserve. We want to exalt you because we know that it is nothing of our own doing. God, that time and time again, when my faith is tested, I feel like I shrink back, but how much joy I can find that knowing that it's completely Jesus's blood that makes me right before you and that you've actually adopted me and brought me back into your family that I would live a life with you for all of eternity. So God, wherever someone is at today, I pray that they would remember your mercy in their life, that they would remember what is to come in eternity, and that that would result in a greater, stronger faith, and that would result in greater praise, glory, and honor to your name, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.